Uh, our scripture passage today is but one verse. It is, it is short and sweet, and uh, you can probably memorize it. In fact, I think we should try to do that. Uh, so listen carefully and listen well to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, first part of verse 11, which states that God has made all things beautiful in its time. He has made all things beautiful in its time. He has made all things beautiful in its time. Could you say that with me? He has made all things beautiful in its time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this morning, we are picking up in this series of sermons that we've uh, been on for a while now, in which we're hoping to, to, to learn to see the glory of the light of Christ more fully in our lives and the world around us um, in each moment where indeed the Holy Spirit is everywhere and fills all things. We're hoping to see the kingdom of God as it breaks in upon us and as we uh, move deeper into that kingdom which Jesus came and proclaimed was near. It says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is present in Him. We're wanting to learn to see the glory of Christ in all things. For all things have been made through Him. Uh, they are for Him. And they will ultimately be consummated and brought together in him. And so um, the pattern of this has taken on the pattern of that trek Jesus makes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John, up the mountain of transfiguration, where they see him transfigured. His fate, face begins to uh, uh, shine brightly with the uncreated light of God beyond description. His, his garments begin to shine with light. They catch a glimpse of him there, a glimpse which then enables them to see other things differently as they descend the mountain and make their way then to the cross and to Jerusalem. So we want to be able to see differently too, to see Christ everywhere and filling all things. We've done that in a couple ways. We've two kind of main focuses to this point. Is that focuses or is that foci? Fo anyway, two main points so far, areas of interest. The first one has been uh, holiness, holy places, Holy people, holy things, all can be um, opportunities for our sight to be transformed. So when you come to church on a Sunday into a, a holy place and encounter holy people and are reminded of holy things, the, the baptismal font or the offering plates or communion or the scriptures or the pulpit or the other people bearing the image of God around you, uh, these kinds of things can begin to Slowly but surely, allow the scales to fall from your eyes so that you can begin to see more fully the light of Christ in the world. Holy places, holy people, holy things. Uh, but we've also talked about ritual. We are creatures of habit. We're gonna, you already have habits. You will always have habits. The, the, the call here is to enter into habits intentionally that have the capacity to transform your vision. Uh, to, to allow you to see the holiness that is around you, the presence of God with you. And so we have talked about making the sign of the cross as a habit, as a ritual, um, a ritual that perhaps opens up a, a, a level, we might say, of reality, a, a spiritual level of reality to us, but also opens up some capacity of our own soul to receive that, to enter into it. Um, we talked about making the sign of the cross in the morning and in the evening. 
And we talked last week about the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Here's some rituals. Here's some patterns, some habits that I hope you're continuing to practice. Uh, just briefly, let's remember the sign of the cross one more time. Thumb, pointer, middle finger, together. Three fingers representing the sign of the Trinity. Your ring finger, your pinky finger extend down to the palm, representing the dual natures of Christ, who is fully God and fully man, coming down to earth. If you turn your hand sideways, you can look through this opening to see the two fingers signifying Christ. And so this represents the womb of Mary, signifying the incarnation of Christ, that Christ, the eternal Son of the Father, has come to us as one of us, taking on our humanity. So here is Jesus, a man, Mary, a woman, so humanity together as man and woman joined to the life of God by virtue of Jesus, connected now with the Trinity. So there's your faith, really. That's the Nicene Creed in you know, physical form. And then we make the sign of the cross from your forehead to your stomach, to your right shoulder, to your left, signifying, among other things, Christ eternally with the Father, who by way of his incarnation comes down to earth, uh, and he dies and then is raised up to the right hand of God through the resurrection, the ascension, and will come again. And so here, here again is our faith. Here's a pattern, a ritual that hopefully when you wake up first thing in the morning, you can do that to mark your day. At the end of the day, right before you go to sleep, do it again. Reminding yourself of your faith, of what you believe, and marking that faith out upon yourself. Saying, I want to take on the life of discipleship that is signified through the victory of Jesus on the cross, which he went to willingly for me, and now I willingly and eagerly place upon myself. Make sense? So what you do with your day is how you spend your life. And so we're trying to enter into this life of discipleship through morning and evening um, uh, prayer in physical form, but also crying out, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Uh, His mercy is our salvation and transformation. And so, uh, we've talked about holiness, we've talked about ritual, all the while hoping to see differently, not just with physical eyes, but with the eyes of our heart. Uh, the pure in heart shall see God, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, all of this is oriented towards the purification of our own lives so that we might be illumined, so that we might receive union with Him. Now we're going to shift. Here's another category. Another focuses, focuses, foci, the third category. The third category is beauty. We're going to talk about beauty. Beauty in itself has the capacity to open our eyes, to cause us to see a little differently. And um, so we're going to talk this morning about beauty and the encounter with beauty is actually a working out of the pattern of love beauty and love together. But then, in the weeks to come, we will talk about perhaps beautiful images. So we'll talk just a little bit about, about icons. You know, some, some of this is coming out of a class that I'm taking on Eastern Orthodoxy. So the section on icons will have some of that. Um, so, so images that are beautiful. Uh, we'll also talk about um, words that are beautiful. So we may in incorporate some poetry in that. Uh, poetry has this capacity, perhaps, to see, allow us to see differently, to speak differently than, you know, a paragraph in a textbook might about an experience or something in the world. 
And then, hopefully beautiful images and beautiful words can also help us to understand action differently so that we can live and act in beautiful ways. Um, I think, I don't know this, I think, I'll have to check it for us, that Jesus uses the word beautiful once in the Gospels. And it's what the kids learned about in Sunday school this morning. When the woman comes and pours perfume out upon the feet of Jesus, a bottle of perfume that was worth like at least a year's wages. And when she had done this, they were complaining about the waste wasn't it Judas, I think, that complained about this could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. And, and Jesus says, no, no, she has done something beautiful for me. Actions, too, can be beautiful. And so we're going to talk about some of this in the next couple weeks. Beautiful images, beautiful words, and beautiful actions. Um, but this morning I want us to think about beauty um, as an outworking of, of, of sort of the pattern of love, an experience of love. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's probably a bit dangerous to break, try to break down into categories something like beauty. Uh, there, there, there's something that can't quite be encapsulated when we, you know, the modern world tries to break everything down into parts. And so you have this experience or this encounter with beauty, and then you try to name it and break it down and Something is lost in the translation there, I think. Uh, there's more of a holistic aspect uh, to something, uh, an encounter with something beautiful, someone beautiful that is limited when we try to do that. But um, I'm, I'm borrowing from a fellow named Hans Urs von Balthasar. He was a 20th century Catholic theologian, and he has a few categories. He wrote uh, on theological aesthetics, and, uh, you know, classically, there are three big categories of truth, goodness, and beauty. And truth and goodness get a lot of press and focus, but beauty, not so much. And he kind of flips this on its head and says, actually, the way into truth is through beauty. And the way into goodness is, is through beauty. And this is how God has, has put them together. This would be an appropriate ordering of things, that beauty is that window that opens up for us truth and goodness. And there's an invitational nature through beauty that can allow us to know the truth, who is Jesus, and to know what it means to be good in, the, in life. And so he describes um, uh, beauty as this process of love. And there are four categories. There are four kind of stages. And I wouldn't say that these always happen um, in sequence in this particular way, but I think they're all there. So here they are. You know, in Greek, there are a few different words for love. Um, eros is one of them. Eros, which uh, has this connotation of desire inherent to it. And so, for example, let's imagine that you see something truly beautiful. What often happens is that it stops you right there. It stop, you, you're doing something and you see something beautiful and you stop and you pay attention. And you want to move towards that thing which is beautiful. There is a desire that is opened up in your heart. There's this movement of desire that wants, to wants for you to draw close to this thing. And human beings want to unite ourselves to things. And so you see something truly beautiful, it stops you and you move towards it. Because you want interaction or perhaps union with this particular experience. So there's eros involved. 
a desire that moves you towards. Then there's also, um, now, often, well, let me say this first. Often, if that's all there is, that's where problems arise. God has made all things beautiful in their time. The whole world is full of beautiful things. And if we only move towards things that attract us, only move towards things that we desire and stop there, well, you can imagine all kinds of problems arising from that, right? That's, that could be a process of idolatry, couldn't it? If you just stop with the thing or the, 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 the worldly experience of that. Um, Hansers von Balthasar says, actually, there's a, there's a fullness to an encounter with beauty and this process of love that moves you from eros, just from desire to encounter this thing or to be joined to it, that raises your eyes up in this contemplative way to the one who made that beautiful thing, right? If you see something truly beautiful and truly glorious, it stops you, you draw near to it, and when you rightly follow the process, it do, you don't stop with that thing. You don't stop with even with that person. But that beauty draws you up to the God who gives beauty. Beauty is, is inherent to the nature of who God is. God has made all things beautiful in their time. They're not just beautiful by themselves. He has made them beautiful in their time, said our passage this morning, right? So you encounter beauty. You draw near to it, and it raises you up. It provides a window of sorts to draw you to contemplate God who is beautiful and who has drawn you near to himself through this particular thing. There's another part. Um, there is uh, a process of, of ecstasy. Uh, an ecstatic experience is one in which uh, you feel as though you have been taken out of yourself to a certain degree. You might could say it like this. Um, you have forgotten yourself for a moment. You're not mainly focused on you and all the things that we tend to focus on most of the time. When we see something beautiful, we're drawn to it. We're lifted up to be mindful of God's beauty. And for a moment there, just for a moment, and we, most of us probably, if you're like me, just get bare flashes of this, you forget yourself just for a second. Or, if you remember yourself, you are mindful of either how small you are, or perhaps how great your sin is, or you, you, you recognize not that you are the fullness of all things, but that there is a greater fullness outside of you than inside of you. And then the final piece um, uh, is agape, which is word for love in Greek, which means self-giving or self-sacrificial love. You see the greatness of God, the beauty of God, the beauty of the world or the person with whom you are interacting. You see um, all of these things. You forget yourself for a moment and you give yourself to God and to the world. What was that story that, where Jesus said, this woman has done something beautiful for me? Yeah, let's think about that in the context of these stages. Let's see if we can name them. Um, this woman encounters Jesus, God with us, who comes and, and stands before her, and she recognizes in Him something beautiful. And she recognizes also that she desires to be close to Jesus. And so she draws near. 
She recognizes too that He is the presence of, of God with us in the world. Here's, here's the Messiah. Here's the one that God has promised to send. It isn't just this man, but it's this man sent from God. And she recognizes the beauty of who He is. And so, in forgetting herself for a moment, what does she do? She acts sacrificially. Her action becomes beautiful because she's encountered the beautiful one. And so she pours out this ointment and perfume, this beautiful gift, which is expansive and, and rich in its giving, beyond anything that makes sense. That's what beauty sometimes is, right? Beauty isn't necessary. It isn't utilitarian. It's extravagant. And so she gives this beautiful act uh, to Christ. So we can see all those pieces playing out, even in this one story. Beauty and love together somehow. Beauty is a way that opens her up to seeing Jesus as He is and then offering herself sacrificially uh, to Him in love. So, if, if some of this is holding true, I, w- I want to think just for a moment about beauty in the context of light. Um, uh, so we have a little dog at home named Holly. And uh, she, was, she was a Christmas present. And so she bears the name Holly. And, uh, you know, if we don't want Holly to leave very unbeautiful marks on the floor during the night, we usually need to take her outside about 11 o'clock. And that's my job. It is. And so I take Holly out usually around 11 o'clock and let her out, go out on the back deck, and uh, this time of year, um, there's, well, if, if you walk outside, there's a tree line. It's, it's dark. You can't, you know, we're inside the house where it's light. You go outside into the dark. You can't see. You can sort of see the tree line against the side, the sky, the silhouette. And this time of year, the Big Dipper, it's, it, I see it every night now, the Big Dipper is positioned. Look, I mean, it looks like somebody is dipping down into the darkness of those trees, and I'm just like, what are you going to pull out of there? You know, the, the dipper's just, I mean, the perfect little angle to, to take, it, take something out. And so I, I go out every night, and I just look at the big dipper and wonder, you know, what, what's coming out of there? Um, and if, if I turn, sort of a quarter turn, uh, I can see over here the Milky Way. And about two weeks ago, or whenever the last new moon was, it was really dark, and the Milky Way was really bright. Uh, it was absolutely stunning. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have been looking at any of the pictures coming out online. NASA's in, posting all this stuff from the James Webb Telescope. Has anybody seen that? It's like this next iteration. You know, the Hubble was the first one. We had these images from deep space that were stunning. But now they'll hold those up beside the James Webb Telescope, and it's like, you know, it's like a Polaroid picture compared to you know, high definition. And so just the, 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 the few pictures they've put up are, are amazing. Uh, images of light shining in darkness, uh, of stars in the night sky um, shining their light. They're the cosmic cliffs. Have, have you seen? I see so a few people raise their hands. One of them are the cosmic cliffs. It's um, this enormous expanse full of gas and, and dust where stars are being born. It's like a nursery for stars. So you see these flashes of stars as they take shape. Um, 
it's, it's amazing by itself. But then I was reading that if you measured the space from the bottom, it just looks like a bunch of, uh, a big cliff, uh, from the bottom to the top, it is seven light years tall, which means that if you traveled at the speed of light for seven years, you'd finally come to the top. It just it blow, it boggles your mind. You, you know, our minds aren't made to conceive of that kind of distance or space. Um, it is beautiful in its appearance, and it is staggering in its magnitude. The heavens declare the glory of God, says the psalmist. So I see that. Uh, there's the quintet, which are these five galaxies that look like they're sort of dancing together almost. They, they're really high-definition defini images there. Um, and then they showed one which is just a, you know, a, an image captured, and it looks like it's absolutely chock-full of stars. There's hardly any black on the page. It is just like, it's like jewels shining, uh, except it's not stars. It's galaxies. <laughs> And you're like, I, I can't conceive of that. And then they say, actually, this image, the amount of sky that this image was actually looking at when it captured it is the size of a single grain of sand held at arm's length. That tiny pinpoint of sky is what all these galaxies are in from, from the vantage of this telescope. Uh, light shining in darkness in this incredibly beautiful way, um, at least for me, makes me stop. And the image draws me in, whether it's an image on my screen or the image of the Milky Way as I look up or the Big Dipper mysteriously dipping down into the darkness of these woods. Um, it, it makes me stop, and it makes me lean in. I feel a desire open up within me, um, and it reminds me of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. He's made all these things. How, if, you know, how large must God be? That's not even really the right question. Um, how, how powerful must God be? That's not even the right question either. But it makes you contemplate, makes you think of God. How beautiful this is. How beautiful must God be? And so it begins to, to cause me, this encounter with beauty opens me up to thinking of God's beauty. And it also reminds me of how small I am. Seven light years high, a grain of sand against the night sky, galaxies more dense than you could sift through. It's like the grains of sand by the shore, right? Um, really stunning, really staggering. And that makes me, in turn, want to go back inside and, and treat my children differently when they wake up in the middle of the night crying or when they make 90 excuses for why they're not in bed yet, <laughs> right? I mean, it's 89's fine. It's the 90th that gets me every time. You know? But it makes me want to live different. The, the agape piece, the the self-sacrificial love piece. It doesn't mean I do it well, but it, it moves me in that way. It opens me to that reality. Um, yeah, so I, I think you can see each of those stages. The eros, the drawing near, uh, the contempla contemplative aspect as you think of God and God's beauty, this ecstasy of being taken outside of yourself or at least recognizing our own limitation and how small I am, 
even to conceive of the space and the magnitude of what God has done. Um, you know, that line in the Psalms, uh, when he's looking up at the glory of these things. Um, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Who, who am I in all the flash of an instant of my life in the face of the largeness and the age of these things? Who am I that God cares for me? That God cares for you so intimately. Nearer to you than your own breath is the God who made those things that so vastly surpass our ability to even conceive of Him. And that makes me want to live differently in this brief flash of a life that I have. To love as God loves. To, to even receive some of the beauty that is God's that I might share it with others. Um, I'm going to read you as the last bit here uh, a, a bit of a poem because I think you can find each of those aspects there too. Uh, eros, drawing out, drawing near, contemplation of God, um, being taken outside of yourself, and then loving sacrificially. Here's, here's, a, here's a few words from a guy named Wendell Berry um, who wrote a poem about a bird that came and lit on the railing of the porch where he sat. An encounter with beauty. I think you can see all these elements. Listen. Um, the yellow-throated warbler, that's the name of the bird, the highest, remotest voice of this place sings in the top of the sycamore trees. But one day he came twice to the railing of my porch where I sat at work above the river. He was too close to see with binoculars. Only the naked eye could take him in. A bird more beautiful than every picture of himself, more beautiful than himself killed and preserved by the most skilled taxidermist, more beautiful than any human mind so small and inexact could ever hope to remember. My mind became beautiful by the sight of him. He had the beauty only of himself alive in the only moment of his life. He had upon him like a light the whole beauty of the living world which never dies. There's this encounter, this beautiful animal, creature, draws near. It stops him. If once wasn't enough, the bird came twice and said, look, here I am. And he looked and he was drawn in. And God isn't mentioned in this contemplative mode by name. But notice where the bird comes from. He is the highest, remotest voice. The highest, remotest voice who sings in the top of the tallest sycamores. From heaven this one has come down. This voice has come down from the treetop to sit right in front of him. From heaven to earth in a sense. He's talking about God. And here, as he thinks of this one who raises his mind also to the heavens, he recognizes that the beauty of this animal can't be captured by his limited human remembrance or imagination, by any attempt to depict him again. The beauty of this thing alive, given life by God, is the thing that he is experiencing. And then he recognizes 
his own inability, the, the smallness, his limitations to recreate this beauty in himself. But actually, the encounter with beauty has made him beautiful. He said, when I saw it, it made my mind beautiful. And so he recognizes that this beauty has transformed him in a way. So that he has the ability to see differently. To be different. There's the process of love worked out. It's just a bird that flew down in front of him, right? Just like you see beautiful things over and over every minute of every day and don't pay attention to them. Just a bird. But it was an encounter with beauty. Your whole life really could be just this encounter with the beauty of Christ who is everywhere and fills all things. And that's what I long for. Because in the end, it draws me into God and it allows me to live in love self-sacrificially, giving beauty to the world in the same way that Christ has given beauty to me. So there's the invitation. He's the light of the world. The light that shines the whole upon the whole beauty of the living world that never dies. That's the kingdom. That's our hope. And that's the gift that we have now. You know the most beautiful things you'll encounter today? The people sitting in this room. They're made in the image of God and they're being remade just as you are in the likeness of Him who is the beautiful one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.